Like this notion of like long-term English learner, what does that really mean? You know, like in my mind, it's like, yeah, we haven't yet served them. We haven't yet met, met their needs. And it also comes from like a deficit orientation of like, no, you don't yet have, you know, the English language proficiency. It's like, <laughs> I find that frustrating, you know, and, you know, and, and oftentimes when we think about, you know, like really getting to know like our, our students as, as language learners, you know, and we, yes, okay, sure. You're, you're, a, you're greater than seven years of service and English language development. But that really means is that our, service hasn't worked yet, that we have, we have not yet served them. This week on the ML Chat Podcast, we continue our conversation with Tim Blackburn about the formative assessment process. Tim is the Title III Administrator from the Tiger-Tualatin School District just outside of Portland, Oregon. In this episode, we will unpack the second part of that process, eliciting evidence. Tim shares about the learning journey each of our students are on and the challenges that many districts are facing as an increasing number of students become classified as long-term language learners. If you haven't listened to episode one, it may be helpful to go back and listen to that episode to get more context and then circle back here. Either way, we're happy you're here and hope you enjoy this conversation with Tim Blackburn. Well, let's, uh, when we ended last time, we were talking, you know, we kind of ended talking about backwards design and we were talking about clear intended learning. We had talked about this amazing journey you had gone on that led you, you know, down to Guatemala, you know, back to New York and teaching and then across the country to Oregon and working in the Department of Education there. And, and now we get to talk about clear and intended learning. Where did this come from? Like, where did this focus on clear and intended learning, backwards design? Um, talk to us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as far as like where 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 it came from, you know, backwards design. One of the things that I find really appealing about it is that conceptually, it, it often like really resonates with you know with my teacher colleagues, right? You know, th these are you know concepts I remember exploring, you know, back at teacher's college, right? When we think about like the fundamentals of curriculum design, like, mm -hmm. where are you going, right? <laughs> where is, where is all of this headed? You know, what do I want my students to know and be able to do at the end of the year, at the end of the semester, at the end of the quarter, as a result of this unit? It's really instructive to think about, you know, where we're going, much like say, going on a trip, you know, like, you know, having a clear destination in mind. And so intuitively, right. It, there's, it's, it's instructive just to think about, you know, your direction. Right. And so the, the language though, for clear intended learning, you know, really came out of, um, a collaboration with, uh, understanding language at Stanford, Oregon State University, and, and my dear colleague, uh, Karen Thompson. Uh, and it basically, it's a, um, a, a set of lenses for kind of landing a language-rich iteration of backwards design. 
So um, when uh, I had this opportunity to, to collaborate with Dr. Karen Thompson and our colleagues at Understanding Language, they were able to like, we were able to like really like collaboratively like define um, yeah, three three lenses, right? That we captured under underneath this title of clear intended learning. Yes, like what do you want your students to know and understand about class concepts? So you know, in a in a either in like an, in a math classroom, you know, for instance, it's thinking about those mathematical concepts. But in addition to that, our students also have to, to, to master the, what they refer to as the analytical practices. That is, you know, thinking about um, the thinking practices that are, you know, specific to, say, mathematics. And then thirdly, the language required to express their understanding of the concepts and to make uh, <laughs> connections and to do the analysis and to, to evaluate a concept. It's these three lenses underneath clear intended learning that um, effectively offer a, a way to, to unpack and understand um, the language development opportunities inherent in our, our class context. so the what the why and the how <clears throat> is a focus and Very much. and i and i guess you know you know you've mentioned in the past that clear intended learning is really the heart of formative assessment practice what have you meant by that yeah, yeah i mean that was really the heart of this project right you know with with dr thompson and um that is the best bell I've heard in like quite a while, actually. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, I mean, the clear intended learning, yes, is very much the heart of what at understanding language they refer to as the formative assessment process. It, it effectively drives the process because it helps define the ends to mm -hmm. which we're going, right? So where is all of this, this headed? All right, well, if I expect, um, you know, these concepts and these thinking practices and the specific, you know, language to express my understanding of the concept, say, at the end of my unit, what are the things that I'm doing on the day-to-day -to, -day to actually, you know, monitor our progress to that end, right? And so this formative assessment process has three additional elements, you know, beyond clear intended learning. So the, the, the second element is uh, what they refer to as mm. eliciting evidence. Now this is like pretty broad, right? Because, but it's, it's really all about in terms of lesson design, um, you know, really privileging language production, like students, what students are saying and what they're doing and what they're writing that reveal the extent to which they are, you know, building mastery of the class concepts, the class thinking practices, as well as, you know, using that language in context. So let's dive into that a little bit more, right? Um, yeah. You know, when you say eliciting evidence, right, to elicit evidence, I, mm -hmm. I can imagine that sometimes when you're in the classroom, it can be hard to elicit evidence, you know, from students. And so, you know, I guess I'd love to jump into that as, you know, maybe 
what what are you using to get students talking um, and kind of work through the the process if you don't mind yeah i mean it, it, i really i think it like comes down to you know offering students you know as much time on target as possible that is you know, we're 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 building mastery of the the the, the class concepts. I'm offering my students like scaffolded ways to actually engage the thinking practices. Like for instance, I think this is probably a pretty good example. Is that like, what does it actually look like to analyze? You know, when you think, <laughs> like, what are you actually doing when you analyze something? And you know, when you look at our our you know say our our standards and our it. You know, students are are expected to do these deep thinking practices, and yet they right. can be abstract. So when it you know when I'm actually de- like designing my lessons, I'm you know, I'm thinking about all right, you know, how am I going to not only um, you know prepare my students for uh, you know particular um, experience and like class concepts and understanding like the content at the focus of my of my lesson but also like build their readiness in terms of like getting to um getting to that like the depth that you know our grade level standards which can be hard when you're trying to keep up with units in the classroom right and you're supposed to get to certain pieces and so i think that's where your backwards design comes into play right well, right, but it also like privileges mm. depth, I guess, right? Like you can't do these things right. in a superficial way. And because of the, especially because of the, the, the implicit language load of all of this is that if our students don't have access to the language, then they can't get to the Right, depth. of course. Does that make sense? <laughs> because, yeah, because then everything is superficial, both in terms of how we like engineer access mm-hmm. into our lessons. You know, we like really have to be like mindful of like supporting our students into grade level content. And, and, and that means like making sure that input is all comprehensible, creating lots of like mm-hmm. visuals, right? And lots of opportunities to process together. And so when you ask about like eliciting evidence, it's like, no, yeah, like it is evidence. <laughs> like I'm listening for evidence from from my students as they engage one another in conversation. That that music came on just like perfect timing. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a couple more seconds of of that countdown here as the students are finding their way. It's interesting. As I'm thinking about what you're sharing, I'm thinking, gosh, this is just, you know, obviously it's really powerful for our multilingual students as they're, you know, learning a new language and trying to have the context to participate in, you know, language rich conversations about history or science or whatever it might be. It also feels like something that a lot of students could benefit from who aren't learning English as a second language as well, right? Um, They may not be learning English as a second language, but, you know, the I, I think one of the principles that has always guided, you know, my practice is that we're all academic language learners. And, and I think that, you know, being really clear on not just like the concepts that we need to know in social studies, but also like the thinking practices associated with being a historian. And thirdly, thinking about the ways in which historians communicate that, 
you know, I think Aida Walke probably says it best is that it's our responsibility as, as teachers to see that our students are apprenticing in these practices over time. And so when I think about eliciting evidence, it's about like designing these moments in the lesson where I give my students thoughtful spaces to engage one another, like safe spaces to actually like build understanding of these things and mastery of these skills. Um, but you know, together, you know, um, you think about the way that an apprentice learns by doing. That's why I love, I, I really love the notion of apprenticing right. as a verb is that we're growing in our competence over time. And when I think about Tim, the first year teacher in New York, you, you, uh, this would have gone over your head to some degree, I would imagine. Right. Is this right? No, very much. It was right. a survival situation. And so at what year. point can you sit down with a teacher and help? kind of develop this next level thinking for them, you know, from a perspective of how to reach and meet the needs of their students. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are some like baseline things that kind of <laughs> like you would want to work on first before probably, you know, thinking mm -hmm. about some of these things like, um, you know, like for instance, like classroom routines are so crucial uh, at any level, right. Is, is, you know, as a ninth grade student, for instance, like it's very helpful to know what mm -hmm. is expected of me, you know, when I enter class, as I find my seat, you know, like where I'm sitting, how I relate to my, my, my peers, what my, my teacher expects of me in terms of, you know, you know, the, the work that I produce in, in class, like those sorts of outcomes are, are really crucial. And, and certainly class routines are kind of like baseline. But beyond that, when we think about like um, our lesson design practice, yeah, yeah, like that's really where, where these four elements of the formative assessment process can be very instructive and, and kind of distilling the, the lesson design. And process. is that something we're asking teachers to do or is it something that we do as a group or as a team is it something that you know you and you know maybe some of your leaders at the district office are building out the you know the lesson planning and sharing it out how, how do we how do we make that that work approachable for teachers yeah when i was at ed northwest that was like very much like what i aspired mm -hmm. to to offer my colleagues is like a you know is a like a framework just because um, we we can often like overcomplicate like the <laughs> lesson right. design is complicated right and and so I've always been like looking for this this way to to offer a scaffold for and ideally like a scaffold for teacher teams like teams of, of colleagues mm -hmm. to come together and talk about their practice have basically like a meta language for um for the elements of a of, of of a lesson you know and uh and so it's like one of like really like one of my like my proud like proudest moments like in you know as, as an educator is actually like uh 
about like three years into uh, a project in, in Ontario, Oregon. And listening to teacher teams actually like use the the language like clear and yes. learning and formative assessment process and and you know thinking about like oh you know like really pointing out like analytical wow. practices and the you know sentence frames associated with comparing and contrasting like to hear colleagues relying on on the framework right to support their planning. Um, it, you know, like my heart really <laughs> burst out of my chest. I was so happy because it really was the, it was really the intention is just to, you know, offer my colleagues, you right. know, like a simple tool, right? Like a way to, a way to distill a complex process and just try to. Oh, I love that. I love that. That is so cool. I can imagine being in that moment and you've been working for three years towards this. And it, it's, it's, uh, and then it actually happens and you're hearing them use all the language and all the structure and the process and, oh man, how great. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've talked for years about when you're first getting into a new role, a lot of times it takes a thousand days to get there. Right. And to really like master it, you know, and like maybe not master cause that's the 10,000 hour rule, I guess, but a thousand days is just something that, uh, like by the end of that thousand days, if you've been really committed during that time, you're going to be really good. Like you will be, you know, some level of an expert, I feel like. And, and it sounds like this, this group in Ontario, this group of teachers, it kind of reached their thousand days maybe. <laughs> so I want to dive a little bit deeper into eliciting yeah. evidence um, and just kind of maybe yeah. talk about, I, I don't know, have, you know, maybe the why behind it, the purpose behind it or how we do it, you know, just kind of break break this complex process down a little bit and make it as approachable as possible. Yeah. I mean, what I like about it is that it really mm-hmm. privileges output. That really is like the kind of the, 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 the end all be all of the listening evidence is that I'm thinking about really two things. Like how am I creating opportunities for students mm-hmm. to show me what they know? And secondly, to what extent am I really clear on what those expectations actually right. are, right? And 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 it's that 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 linguistic output that I think is um, just a nice, simple way to to think about this. You know, what do I expect to see in my students' writing? And what do what do I want to hear in the ways in you know in which they're they're interacting in, in class as they're building understanding of the concepts, as they're actually trying out the at these analytical practices um, in action, and that we're actually apprenticing in the the, the desired language forms. Um, it's really about being like attentive to um, how, my, how my students are growing in those, in, in those three practices over time. And so if I'm thinking about those invitations, right, those invitations to try out those, those, those skills in context, um, I can attend to um, really thinking about further supports mm-hmm. my students might need, um, challenging my students to using more complex language forms or like finding ways to um, to offer extensions for for concepts or applying those concepts in a, a deeper, right. richer way. 
um, if I'm listening carefully and if I'm looking carefully in those writing, I, you know, we can find ways to kind of, kind of turn the crank, so to speak, and to, to, you know, to work to create a conversation. When I'm thinking about it, you know, who do you see doing this in, in, in what environment? Like, in, you know, is this a, a language teacher that, you know, an ELD teacher, maybe that, you know, is a part of, is this in the classroom with the classroom teacher? I'm just trying to think if I'm a teacher and I'm working with 30 students, how am I able to, you know, capture that linguistic output, right? And understand it in a way to be able to think about extension opportunities for the student or kind of where we, where we take our instruction from here. I think, you know, there's, there's a number of points that I, you know, come up for me in, in response is firstly, is this notion of like amplifying and extending language development yeah. throughout the school day. Is that, yes, you know, like colleagues have, you know, like, you know, in 30 kids in a classroom, how can I be mm -hmm. in all of those places at once? It's, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Is that, that is like a challenge to, to be able to attend to, you know, supporting and differentiating for all of our students based on what we, you know, mm -hmm. what we observe. Right. And so, um, kind of like two things like come up for me, like, you know, is, is firstly, this really is about the invitation, right? It's about creating mm -hmm. the space for students to like to try this on. And so like having like a record of, you know, of what students um, are, are, are thinking in terms of their writing or even like a, even like a written record of the work that they have processed through speaking and interacting with their, with their peers. Right. Um, those are, you know, the kind of like simpler ways to actually like capture that sort of evidence of, of thinking and that evidence of apprenticeship mm -hmm. and evidence of growth within our, our, our three target areas. But um, it's also just, it can be as simple as, you know, constructing classroom dialogue and, and you know, listening, you know, carefully to what yeah. students are saying, right? And so uh, either through pair shares, um, either through, you know, like small group conversations, or heck, maybe it's a Socratic seminar, and, you know, you're, <laughs> you're there as merely as a facilitator, and you're, you know, listening for how students are interacting with, with one another. So it's just, it's a super intentional work, you know, like, but really, you know, at the end of the day, and, yep. and it sounds like, you know, you're building the whole process around like this is this is a this is very much a a perspective on really understanding. I, I guess as as you've said, like it's it's the backwards design of lesson planning, and that makes sense. I get that now. Sure, sure, but with like a right. fundamental shift in that. Um, if as teacher, I'm doing all of the talking then who's doing the, right. who's doing the work? Yeah. <laughs> who's doing the, the, the heavy cognitive lifting. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be me as teacher, you know? And, and, and I do think that's kind of like a helpful way to, you know, to think about like the traffic, yeah. you know, the, the information traffic in a classroom. I, I really, you know, what I want to hear is a hum 
a steady productive hum in my classroom instead of the you know the the teacher the droning on right and because it it really is like a fundamental shift right in and sort of like our mental model for what school looks like it's it's our kids need to be doing that productive struggle and that productive work and it really is the job of a teacher to design these these invitations for students to connect and cope. What you're saying is really resonating with me, especially around the apprentice, you know, uh, the apprenticeship perspective, right. Of these students are apprenticing in in a lot of these, these tools. I, one thing that I've enjoyed saying through the years is that, you know, by doing the work, we build capacity, right. And we increase capacity by doing that work. Well, I mean, we need the students to be doing the work so that they can build their capacity. I'd love for you to give us some more examples of maybe what this looks like and, um, you know, kind of walk us through, like, how, how do we do this? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, there are a number of like different cycles we can like, you know, think about and really, you know, like depends on, um, our specific, you know, lesson aims, but let's say, um, haven't really thought about that before. <laughs> oh, no, you're good. You're good. Hey, I'm put, you're in the waterfall that, conference room. Uh, you just, just relax. And I think everything will come, you know, I, yeah. So, um, let's say that I want my students to, um, you know, to analyze the, the impact of, um, colonization on the Americas. All right. So yeah. let's like, let's start there. So in terms of like the class concepts is that I want my students to understand like concepts like triangular trade, right? To understand the 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 clash of well cultural diffusion to be sure, but you know, you know additionally like the impact of um of of colonization, um, especially on, on, on say, an indigenous mm-hmm. cultures here in, in the Americas, and and certainly you know like the impact of of the slave trade, right? There are social studies concepts that I know I want my students to know and understand from say like a like a social, cultural, economic, you know, geographic. Right perspective those really like kind of lie at the heart of what i want them to to know and understand and in order for me to really have a clear sense of what those class concepts are i've got to you know of course use my standard but then to really think about how i want my students to actually apply that standard at the end of the unit and so if we you know if we're going to like assign a a, say an, an analytical like thematic essay you mm. got to write that essay yourself <laughs> you've and and it's really on until you actually do it that you can fully understand the inherent like complexities of what we're asking our students to to do and so applying our, our, our lenses to the concepts to understand like what actually analysis looks like, especially for cause mm-hmm. and effect. It will also highlight the specific language that we need to, to offer you know, to our students, right? So the language development and practice. 
So thinking about, you know, like what language do I need for right. cause and effect? What's the vocabulary that I would expect my students to be able to use? Like say, you know, triangular mm -hmm. trade, <laughs> it's, uh, colonialism, um, uh, impact. Like you think about like all of the language that will like kind of come to the surface when we're actually unpacking uh, the the artifact that we expect of students by the end. And what's really helpful about actually, you know, def defining your, your destination, it's actually really liberating because it facilitates your lesson design process. On, on the one hand, I could and see so, as a teacher thinking, oh my gosh, that is like so much work. Wait, I'm going to do the work that I'm asking the students to do. But yet I can see what you mean that it would almost be liberating because now I, it would be more definite in what I'm asking my students to do and a little less ambiguous, maybe. A little less ambiguous. And now you have a model from which to draw you mm -hmm. know, throughout your lesson. And so if you're going to like introduce the, you know, these, the, like, like the concepts of encounter, right. Of two civilizations in their first encounter. All right. Well, when we're thinking about it in terms of eliciting evidence I, I want to use like as as much imagery to get my students mm -hmm. like talking about their schema for you know an encounter right for for colonialism like our kids have a lot of lived experience you know and so like creating invitations for students to exchange ideas and co-construct meaning you know further is you know, presenting like in as many um, in as many modes as possible, you know, information that I want my students to to negotiate to build new understandings on top of their on top of their experience, their prior knowledge. And so, as far as like you know, eliciting evidence goes, it's yet yeah, not it's not just a question of reading the text excerpt, but rather. It's the abundancy and redundancy of it. It's creating tasks that draw my students into the text to get them to process the text together and then to step back and then use the text as a, as a resource for their conversations. And it's in those conversations and the back and forth, I'm, I'm listening for evidence of their, of mm -hmm. their own learning, right? And looking for evidence not just around the concepts, but how are they how are they applying that? Um, how are they applying the thinking practices through their understanding of the text? This is powerful stuff. I mean, this is this is how you make a big difference with you know in, in eliciting evidence. And so I, I love the focus on an invitation. You you um you snuck in there, abundancy and redundancy. Um, is that sound, is that a term that everybody knows and uses? I I feel like you're the only person I've ever heard that from. Unpack that real quick. It's not yeah, it I mean <laughs> so John, what he taught me is that um it's really a, a question about supporting our students mm -hmm. to depth. And that if if I'm doing my job right, it's about thinking about the, the inviting my students into to rich content in a supported way. And so 
in doing so, I'm offering them like abundant opportunities to engage and re-engage texts with purpose. That's really what, like at the heart of what what John was 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 teaching me. It's like we're not just going to read it once. I'm going to provide you know like um, you know rich you know imagery and opportunities like for my students to share their prior knowledge with me. You know prior to even introducing the text, I want to really just invite students to, to show me what they they know and of what they've experienced associated with a particular theme. And it's through that theme we can carry that prior knowledge into the into the text and and it's you know it's in that that we're not just going to read the text once but rather we're going to process the text in a multi, in a multitude of ways. And so it's that Again, that abundancy of opportunity, and then sort of like the, what he meant by redundancy is that we're just over like and again over and again, like um, and mm-hmm, yep. And so that we're it's not just a, a a question of like reading comprehension, but like an application of those concepts in a novel way. Mm-hmm. Aida Walke, she writes about this too, and you know that's really what kind of at the heart of the the three moments lesson design is that we support our students in negotiating new new texts at grade level with scaffolded support up to standards and then we create an invitation for kids mm-hmm. to apply that learning in a novel way abundancy and redundancy right that there's a there is a cycle and our our kids are working to depth because we've created the conditions for them to do that. I love this. I love this. This is so fun kind of unpacking this and diving into it with you, Tim. Um, I want to ask a question that might sound a little silly, but I'm just thinking if I, if I'm a classroom teacher and I'm trying, you know, I have all of this content, I have it broken down, like what I'm teaching throughout the year and, and I'm trying to get to the next unit. Right. And we're trying to get through this one. When, when I am listening to you, to you kind of break this down and walk through it, it feels like it would slow me down significantly and that I'm not going to be able to get through all my content, right? And, and so uh-huh. I know that there's a, a pretty big difference in perspective. Help me, help me understand why this actually isn't going to slow me down. There's, a, there's just this, this for me, this yeah. is a constant tension, right? And so I think this, the, you know, the, the question you ask is as fair yep. as it is frustrating in the sense that, you know, like I hear from my colleagues, just like, uh, just a, a, uh, like a, like a fear, you know, like, a, like, well, what right. about covering the content? Or what about this and what about that? And um, I mean, honestly, like for me, like cover, <laughs> sure, it's a five-letter word, but for me, it's a four-letter word. I, I, I really, I, I can't connect to it. And the, the reason why is that it, it assumes that, I, I think it, it, it assumes a few things. Um, you know, firstly, is that, just in terms of like the knowledge and and concepts like 
it assumes that are, are that it's better to know a bunch of things instead of creating opportunities for kids to to yeah. know things in mm-hmm. a deeper way. You know, <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's really like the I think for me like the the heart of this tension is that I'd rather give my my students. Um, interesting and relevant, you know, context to build understandings um, in a in a deeper way and 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 to apply them at greater depths of knowledge than, you know, to build superficial understandings in a hurried way of a whole bunch of, of concepts. It's basically it's the, the notion of a mile wide, you know, a, right. a mile wide and an inch deep versus, you know, versus it's sort of like an integrated way to, to, you know, design, you know, units for, for, for depth. And I think this is instructive for serving multilingual students is that the, the, the context really drives everything. And if I'm constantly changing the context, it's, it, it it can really like lead Mm -hmm. to an overload. And so, like I, I get it, you know, like it, it's it's really like in our wiring as as teachers when we think about the our classroom experiences as students, and then kind of juxtaposing it, you know, to say our our experience, uh, you know, as as educators. Like I, I totally relate to that right. tension. I understand it, and. I had a a principal once tell me, you know, 30 kids get on a bus with you at the start of the year. How, what are you going to do as a, as a teacher to ensure that all 30 of those children are with you at the destination at the end of the year? That is powerful imagery. And by racing through content and not thinking about like negotiating the potholes and in, in the in the road on in the road mm-hmm. and the curves in the road, yeah, we we are going right. to to lose kids. And so again, like I think relevance really matters, and and depth is 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 priority. Do you think it's this focus on covering the content or get you know moving through that that has maybe had an impact on? the large numbers of students who, you know, reach a status where they're classified as a long-term English learner? 100%. Like this notion of like long-term English learner, what does that really mean? They don't have the depth. You know, like in my mind, it's like, we haven't yet served them. We haven't yet met, met their needs. And it also comes from like a deficit orientation of like, no, you don't yet have, you know, the English language proficiency. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> I find that frustrating, you know, and, you know, and, and oftentimes when we think about, you know, like really getting to know like our, our students as, as language learners, you know, and we, yes, okay, sure. You're, you're, you're greater than seven years of service and English language development. What that really means is that our service hasn't worked yet, that we have, Mm -hmm. we have not yet served them. Yeah. It's more of a reflection on the program. And how we've done so in a way that's being explicit. Yeah. 
It, it is. And it, like 30 minutes of focused ELD a day is not going to cut it. And so like, again, I think this really like speaks to more of like a systemic issue of, of thinking about the myriad ways that our students use academic language for a you know myriad purposes across context throughout their school day. It is not helpful to think about that in a, like a compartmentalized you know, intervention right. sort of way. What are we doing by othering othering children, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 pushing them into you know pushing them into like interventions where what they really need are language rich environments you know surrounded by their their peers in which they get to use language every day to make connections to ideas and express what they're thinking oh that is powerful tim and and that's really you know that's the intention here with clear intended learning right and and that focus and and so where are we going to go next you know we've been talking about you know elicit evidence you know, where are we going to go next when, uh, yeah, we're probably getting close to the end of our time here. Yeah. And so, so give us a preview of what we're going to cover next. Time. Like the eliciting. Yeah, absolutely. So like the, the eliciting evidence is like really right. all about the invitation, right? What am I listening for? What am I looking for in their writing that is evident, right? Of right. the clear intended learning. So the next piece is what, um, what our colleagues at understanding language refer to as interpreting mm. evidence. And this is really cool because what it, what it means is that because I know so clearly what the destination is, I also have a sense of what success looks like. That makes a lot of sense. And so in the interpreting evidence is thinking about like your success criteria for the class concepts, your success criteria for the thinking practices, that is the, your analytical practices and how students are really kind mm-hmm. of expressing right their their understanding of the concepts and thirdly the extent to which they're using the target language forms and and, and academic language more broadly it's really cool because if you lay out in the interpreting evidence portion the these success criteria you can then and probably most importantly communicate those understanding, excuse me, those success criteria and those learning outcomes to your students. It's not just like a perfunctory learning target at the start of your lesson, but rather it's a tool that we use for, uh, for constant reflection mm-hmm. throughout the unit. You know, when th- what I love about learning outcomes is that we can use them as like, yeah, like a compass. Yeah, North Star yeah. is what came to my mind. <laughs> so like, set a path right there. Set a path, right? And and am I on target, right? You know, do, what about my learning today? You know, reveals you know where I am in in this journey. And that metacognition—it's not just like a like a multilingual learner best practice. It is a that is like what we know from Marzano, what we know works from, from John Hattie. It's like really like um, coaching our, our students to metacognition. 
like an awareness of how I'm growing in my learning. Another part of what I love about it is that it demystifies grading and it makes our students partners in their own learning, you know, learning development. And so like, show me, you know, like, show me what you notice about your learning today. Like, where are you in, in terms of our focus class concepts? Or show me evidence of how you're, you're growing in compare and contrast or how you're evaluating, mm-hmm. um, you know, bias in, in, a, uh, in a paradigm. And so it comes, you know, it's important then, you know, after making the invitation to be able to have those student artifacts, right? A speaking artifact, a writing artifact, a, you know, whatever it might be, to be able to, you know, help the student metacognate on it, right? To be able to interpret, you know, analyze that evidence and, and run. So... Um, yeah, I can, I can see that. I, I can't wait to dive into that and unpack it. So. Yeah. And it's just the, um, it's from the start, you know, Justin is that like, I can't really get to a conversation of success criteria, you know, without a, <laughs> a clear mm-hmm. destination. And so that again, the clear intended learning drives everything. You know, and, you know, we we if we're really clear on where we're headed, and we focus our attention to these you know invitations of students like apprenticing in in the the skills, you know, throughout our um, you know throughout our class, and we're really looking for and you know looking for and listening for evidence of learning, and then we provide we we provide the tools for interpreting the extent to which our students are growing. Um, um, in those, in you know, in in the target, in in the, in the target. That makes a lot of sense to me. Ah, thank you so much for this. I'm I'm looking forward to next time. Thank you, Tim. Enjoy that yeah, waterfall yeah. conference yeah, room absolutely. and all the work that you've got to do in that middle school yeah. today. And and uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you next week. All right. Thanks a lot, Justin.
All right. Thanks a lot, Justin.
The ML Chat Podcast is brought to you by Flashlight Learning. Flashlight Learning has helped deliver personalized feedback and progress monitoring to over 75,000 multilingual students nationwide. Flashlight 360 provides students with a platform to showcase their speaking and writing skills, helping teachers gain a better understanding of their students' individualized needs and inform instruction. Teachers are talking about the increased confidence and language proficiency growth they're seeing in their students. A recent study from Johns Hopkins School of Education demonstrates that Flashlight 360 had a significant positive impact on WIDA Access overall composite scores. To learn more, visit flashlight360.com study.